Welcome back to another edition of the Wits Up podcast. It is, well, do you know what? I'd love to say it's great to see all your smiling faces, but I truly, truly miss everyone's smiling faces. Um, I think the lockdown here in Melbourne is hitting me hard, uh, particularly in the last week, because I thrive on being, I guess, in group settings, whether that's sort of small groups or being at an event where I don't know very many people and um, I'm getting to learn who these strangers are or I have strangers come up and say hi to me. I just, I love, I love that and I love learning about other people and listening to their stories. Um, and while this podcast is perfect to listening to stir- stories and, and learning more about people, um, I just, I just miss that face-to-face interaction. So I guess if you see me on social media, uh, please say hello, drop me a comment. Um, just, uh, give me any kind of sign that there is life out there amongst you all. <laughs> uh, anyway, I hope you've been enjoying these podcasts. It is absolutely one of my favorite things to do. Uh, in terms of the different platforms that WitsUp offers. Uh, so I truly hope that you guys enjoy getting to know the people behind the athletes who I chat to. Uh, we've got plenty more athletes to speak to throughout the yes, the rest of the year. We've got some new and exciting things coming up, which hopefully I'll have a bit more information for you next week. Uh, but if you are already a patron member, I do want to say you need to make sure that you download the Patreon or Patreon app uh, so that you don't miss out on any of the behind the scenes stuff that we are creating and having a bit of a play around with as well. Uh, okay, today we are chatting with Lisa Norden, who just took part in the Eurochamps uh, time trial. Uh, so it's awesome to see some races popping up here and there. We've got a few triathlons going on across the globe. Uh, some big-ish, do we say ish? I'm going to say ish because not everyone can get there from across the globe. So it's big-ish, some big-ish events in the world of triathlon kind of starting to happen at the moment. So that's exciting to see uh, some races returning. Uh, anyway, let's catch up with Lisa Norden. I'm Joe Coombe and I am a Patreon of WitsUp because back in the good old days when we used to read paper magazines, I wouldn't think twice about buying a triathlon magazine for $10 and then I'd be disappointed because there were so few women being covered in it. Steph came along and changed all that um, with WitsUp, with the podcast, with all the videos that she produces. And I just think it's well worth the money to actually pay for that service. Um, so you can become a WitsUp Patreon too. Go to patreon.com slash WitsUp or click on the link in the description of this episode. Lisa Norden. I feel like I'm catching up with a long lost friend. It's been a very, very long time. It has. And you're currently in a caravan in the middle of in the middle of Sweden or um, whereabouts are you at the moment <laughs> actually in the middle of Germany uh just a bit south oh. of Frankfurt in near yep. Heidelberg which is mm-hmm. the Laura Philipp country it's the so, what country Laura Philipp country 
the oh, very I good. Gotcha, show. Laura Phillips. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking like that's a. Um, uh, I don't know what I was thinking. It's it, not I like think it was some German. <laughs> Maybe actually she would like get this region called after her at some stage. So it could be like, you know, like a Bundesstadt or something. Yeah, maybe. I mean, that's me once again with my Australian accent absolutely butchering her name. I'm like, Laura <laughs> Philip, and you're like, Laura, if you live, blah, blah, blah. Oh, it's a fancy. <laughs> well, it's a bit like actually with her name because you would say Laura in German, but it's very much Laura, and she kind of adapted to it. So she kind of says, or Philip says Laura as well. So I think you could go both ways. No one would mind. Gotcha. Okay. And it gets very confusing because she's laura phillips but her boyfriend's name is philip exactly is that right and they are married yeah. so i think he should be philip philip but they didn't totally do it, <laughs> it would be kind of funny hello my name is philip philip i'm lisa lisa <laughs> yeah hello Steph there's Steph. actually there's yeah <laughs> There can only, like, people only have to um, listen to me once. Like, there's only room in this world for one Steph, not a Steph Steph, that's for sure. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> there's a, um, oh, gosh, there's a radio host here in Melbourne, in Australia, who they, and I can't remember their last name, but they named their son. It was something like David David. It was something like that, and they did that intentionally. <laughs> poor thing. Wow, poor boy. <laughs> it's not a good, good start <laughs> to life. <laughs> Oh gosh! So, have you been hanging out with Laura and Laura and Philip recently? Yeah. So we took the ah. camper and left Sweden. It's quite a drive, uh, considering we're yep. in Stockholm. So we do have six hours just to get to the south of Sweden. So that was day one, ah. and then we butchered Germany in day two. And then the wow. camper takes a little bit of. It's not you know, autobahn is fast, but you can't with a camper van. So it does take a little bit of time. Yeah, of course. Of course. I love the Autobahn. It's so it's so good. <laughs> well, we had a lot of Stau, which is the German uh, Q, Q word. Uh, so a lot of like, you know, with the road works and everything and during summer. And even with Corona, there's uh, quite a lot of roads, uh, people on the roads. So it's fairly oh, really? busy. And, yeah. Well, I think same in Sweden. Uh, we went up to the mountains a few weeks ago and the mountains are super busy with Swedes. And I guess that's the Swedes yeah. that normally would have gone to Germany otherwise, but now they're in Sweden and the Germans are hanging out in Germany. So you still have a lot of people on holidays, but it's more the domestic kind of holidays. Right, right. So is it reasonably easy to move around Europe at the moment? Yeah, it's it's changing so quickly. Um, yeah. Maybe like just before we left, it wasn't. And even in Denmark, like Sweden and Denmark has been connected by the bridge for since I was little, basically. And there's never, ever yeah. been any passport controls. And now we were stopped yeah. on the bridge, going over to the Danish side, having to show passport, because we aren't allowed to stay in Germany. Uh, because we're from Stockholm, and only the regions in Sweden bordering to Denmark are allowed to stay. Uh, and the other regions oh. are not allowed to be there. But we can transit through. So then you have to show that you have hotel nights or a business in Germany to be able to drive through. But that's kind of like right. weird for someone like, you know, it's a country where you're basically neighbors and connected, like there's no differences. And now you stop to show yeah. your passport to go over. Uh, so Denmark has yeah, been a bit right. of trouble. Germany, they did have quarantine for quite some time, but then they, as Sweden was improving, we fell off the red list and now we're fine. Uh, okay. I came back from France yesterday. Uh, France also have increasing cases. 
Uh, but it's not yeah. not the red zone or any quarantine or passports or anything there. So that that was fairly easy. Right. Is it a bit um, nerve wracking just taking off? Um. Uh, well, a little bit. I think as we're in the camper, we're confident that we could go back within like you know a day. So if something would happen, sure. they would start because normally they give a little bit of heads up and then we okay, this is not a good place to be, we can drive back. Uh, but yep. with flights and stuff, it would be a little bit nerve-wracking because when things change mm. and you need to go back to the airport and change your flight and trying to you know, go back before things happen or things lock down. There was actually a flight from uh, Spain to Norway and Norway decided to have people from Spain quarantine after midnight on a certain day. And there was a plane oh. that landed quarter to midnight but it was delayed <gasps> so it landed one oh, minute no. after midnight and they all had to sit two weeks in quarantine so i You're guess like <laughs> no and there was a big debate because they were like well we were scheduled for before midnight and the airplane was in norwegian airspace before midnight but they hit the runway after midnight so they had to go into quarantine oh that is rough that's wow. quite rough I, I yeah. think for, for us, though, the kind of lifestyle we're living, quarantine is not so bad as long as you can go yeah. outside. So shopping you can do online and as long as you can be in the forest and run and ride outside, you'll be fine. Um, yeah. But for people with yeah. jobs and families and stuff, of course, it's going to be a, a big problem. Yeah, but now, definitely. Because I raised the UCI race last weekend, uh, I've been tested twice before. They have to test six and three days before the race. So they have quite rigorous testing oh. schemes. So I've just been yep. hanging out with heavy tested people, which feels fairly safe. Yeah, of course. So this is for, was it a time trial race, this one? Yeah, it was European champs and they have obviously the road race as well, but I only did yeah. the time trial and then I left the camp and came back here. And how I'm a bit uh, worried about asking because I I think you posted that you didn't have the day that you wanted. <laughs> is that right? <laughs> well, to be honest, I actually did have quite a good day. Uh, the power data okay. was, I was happy with the race when I rode it. Um, yep. And it's always cool when you can see that you do something that you quite haven't done before. But mm -hmm. the course wasn't my course. Um, and I know right. it's really bad to blame the course. It's like a typical triathlon. <laughs> like, I would have won it if it was in a different course. <laughs> you know, have your all these different, like, excuses. Um, but for me, uh. like, especially coming from, you know, triathlon a longer distance, my thing is being steady. Like I can do my intervals within five watts, you know, just keeping it really, really steady and, and riding solid for a long time. Uh, we've yeah. been testing, doing a lot of air testing. So I did nationals back home with an average of 44.6 for 32 Ks. So I'm quite aero yeah, at the moment yeah. and it, the bike goes really, really fast. Uh, and yeah. this course was in, it was in Brittany and it's super hilly. It's like small, punchy hills with like some, really rolling steep descents so it's basically a roller coaster for the whole race and to be able right. to ride fast you need to hit the climbs well above thresholds like a long way up in the red yeah. zone and then you need to recover in the downhills and then you need to hit, hit it hard again so it's more like an on and off kind of course and my right. red zone is not that 
big as if you compare to the cycling girls with all the road racing and the attacking and the ability to stay above threshold for a long time. Right. So I did it well, but I don't have enough punch for that kind of course. Okay. So then what so what is next then from there to I mean it's hard obviously because it's the Euro champs so you don't really you can't choose where your course is when it's the champs <laughs> but will you now look at other courses that are more specific to you? Well so time trials it, it's not a very big part of cycling it's all about the road races mm. and stage races and basically yeah. there's one or two other races around that's not championships um, yeah. I did I the world champs this year which was meant to be in Switzerland but Switzerland yeah. decided they can't hold it with the current um, corona restrictions. So I think yeah. now Tuscany applied to hold it instead a week later. So maybe there will oh, be okay. another time trial and then that's another chance to see if I can go and break 45 k's per hour on the time trial course. Uh, but again, yeah. it depends on what that course looks like and if it's a bit more of a steady profile. Yeah. But still, 14th in Europe is a pretty heavy cycling country, so top 15 in it, Europe is not too bad for a triathlete. It, it's amazing for a triathlete who, like you just said, who isn't uh, accustomed to that kind of course as well. So there's massive takeaways from that event. I think you learn so much. And it's even though I've done sport for a very long time, it's really cool to go and hang out with other people that also do sport, mm. but they do different sport. And I can still do it, yeah. but I learned so much with just to see how the national team are set up, the support. And, you know, I, I um, shared room with the under 23 girl who just got into the under 23. So she's basically still super young. Uh, and yeah. she's my teacher. <laughs> so I have to like ask her oh, like, all these questions of like how they do things and like what's, you know, what do you need to think about, you know, in the warm up. And so she, she's kind of yeah. my teacher. And, and I think that's very, very useful. For someone like me also to like yeah keep myself on the toes and find new things to challenge me and stuff like that so it's it's really yeah cool. so what do you think is the biggest thing that you've learned from being a triathlete uh racing on a time trial bike compared to being a cyclist racing on a a time trial bike like what's that Obviously, there's changes that you have to make to your bike to to make sure it's UCI legal and things like that. But for you, what's the biggest difference? I think as a triathlete, you always do everything by yourself. Uh, and with yeah. the running, you're very careful with your body. Like, you know, you have to make your body work for you. And you work on the rehab, you work on warm-up, you do like all the preparations with your body. In cycling, it's more yeah. about the bike and a lot of girls, like they come out and the mechanics have polished the bikes and make sure they're pumped up and ready and you sit on the bike and then you ride and it's their job. Right. So I think for us, yeah. we, we used to work harder around and then we used to really, really maximize our bodies. And I think that's a huge advantage um, that we probably a little bit ahead of the cyclist with. Maybe not the top ones, but for the majority. And also right. think that when you used to do everything, you run around, like you go to the race briefings and you're, if your bike isn't working, mm. you have to find a bike mechanic somewhere on, like you always do everything mm. yourself. And when you suddenly have someone to do it for you, 
you yeah. very much appreciate it. And that's also like good because then you actually have an advantage because it's something new and you feel like someone is looking after you and you have a masseuse and you have someone uh, bring you sandwiches or cooked rice or like this, <laughs> the, t- the team around. Uh, and yeah. for them, it's natural. Like that's just how it's meant to be. And lucky, I think right. they'd be in big trouble if they go to triathlon races and they realize like, you know, actually <laughs> it's all up to you right yeah. now. No one is going to come and yeah. look after you unless you have like a really good boyfriend or mom or someone who's going to like <laughs> be with you all the time. Yeah. And did you notice when you went from racing ITU, Olympic distance and so forth, like the World Triathlon Series, did you even notice a difference from a bit more of a team environment to racing long distance as well? Because I feel like there's a bit of a gap there in terms of having a support team around you in the shorter shorter stuff. Yeah, but well, so remember I'm from Sweden, which is a very, very small country with very limited <laughs> oh, resources. Oh, yeah, I guess, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we yeah, always yeah, came yeah. up racing on like very – either I go by myself or I bring my boyfriend or the head coach uh, is coming out as well. But we almost yeah. never, apart from the Olympic Games, have a bike mechanic. I think there's two or three races where I've been able to bring a physio over all my years um, with the racing. Yeah. So – for me, it's actually not a big difference. But of course, if you're from Germany or UK or something, then it would be a huge yeah. gap to transfer over. But it's actually yeah. interesting. From uh, Remember when I, I started? It's funny. The, the neighboring town to where Europeans was, was the place where I won my first World Cup 2008. So that's oh, wow. a long time ago right now. So um, long ago. <laughs> crazy but 2008 <laughs> even the world like we didn't have a world series that was the last time where we only had a world cup oh. circuit and 2009 the world series were brought in in 2008 yep. we still had homestays on the world cup level uh there were always parties afterwards and there was only like a few teams that actually had a team set up where they came in similar clothes and traveled together and everyone yeah. you know, left to the races by themselves and find solutions and so it was like a much smaller scale of operating at the time. And then with the World yep. Series, with, I guess, Beijing Olympics was like when it started to become a little bit more serious and then it really increased to London. And from there on, it's just been like more and more professional every year. Yeah. Yeah. Farah, you really have seen the, the sport grow and evolve, haven't you? You've, you've been around for a bit. I have been around for a bit and like my early days done in Australia. So I left for Australia when I finished school. So that was 2004 and I got to race my first um, national race in Australia was with Barb Lindquist and Emma Snowsill and um, oh, what's the other Emma girl who was really strong who always did breakaways on the bike. Carney? uh, Emma Carney? No, there was another one. Loretta Harrop, um, she was in it. Oh, Loretta. Like it was yeah. like, yeah, it was the really the old school, like the beginning of triathlon, basically. And they were my heroes yeah. at the time. Yeah. And then to see like the whole, how it transformed from there into what it is now, it's quite a big trip. So, so sorry, that was in 2004. You lived in Australia, did you say, yes. for a while? So when ah. I, actually it was my, my mom, when she... She was scared that I was going to start uni and become grown up and boring and, you know, start, get a life, basically, <laughs> and job. Uh, so she wanted to have one kind of last adventure and she got a job in Sydney. She's a midwife. 
So she decided yeah. to take the job and I came down with her on a working holiday visa and started to train with the Brat Club in Bondi. And then we basically oh, yeah. stayed there for three years. No way. I love that your mum didn't want you to just go to uni and become boring. <laughs> well, she did fairly well, I think. She, she, oh, it's amazing. She prevented me from like becoming old and boring and having three kids and <laughs> living in a big house with a Volvo and a dog. <laughs> Actually, she was the one, and that, that's quite a nice story, like how it all yeah. started with triathlon, because we yeah. were horse riders. My mom learned how to ride from the old riding police in Sweden because she used to hang out in the stable and they taught her to ride. And then when I was five, yeah. six and I started to talk about horses, you know, like, okay, this is my chance to go back to horse riding again. Uh, so we started riding yeah. together. So my whole school time, I've been a horse girl and we always spent all the money we had and all the time we had in the stable. And then when I was 15... So the summer between year nine and year 10, she yep. turned 40. This is the summer 2000. And that's the midlife crisis. You turn 40, you're becoming old and boring, blah, 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 the whole story. Hey, hey, uh, hey calm, she- calm down. I'm 39. So <laughs> no, I'm, uh, I'm just pretty close ease up there. <laughs> <laughs> and she decided she wanted to ride her bike to Italy. The problem was we had no bikes apart from like the old bike we rode to the stable on. So she bought two race bikes. And this is like yeah. the traditional ones. We have the gearing down on the down tube and it's yeah. you know pretty basic bikes, but we bought them and we didn't have any mobile phones either or Google Maps. So we bought maps from Sweden down to Italy oh, nice. and we drew a line with a lineal and then we picked the small roads next to that line and basically rode and camped our way through Europe down to Italy. And when I came back oh from gosh. that trip, that's when I did my first triathlon because I figured, you know, I've been riding my bike all summer, uh, swimming I learned in school and running, how difficult could it be? Like, you know, <laughs> everyone can run. Uh, so sure. that was my first triathlon. So it's much thanks to my mom having a midlife crisis and dragging <laughs> me through Europe on a bike that I ended up doing triathlon. Oh my goodness. That's such an awesome story. What a cool mom. She is pretty cool. Um, her biggest so she turned 60 this year so that's the next crisis right and her dream was to qualify for Kona and do Kona as her 60th birthday so we were going to have that party in Kona this year but with the current situation that didn't happen so So she's also a a triathlete now okay so does she want to go to Kona next year well I think that's the plan um yeah but then you know with life so she's still working full-time her husband has a kidney disease um so yeah. he's not super healthy and i'm not sure if it's maybe was this year and then finish or if she still like has the energy and the willingness to continue another year uh, i guess time right. will tell with her body's coping and stuff as well i don't think yeah. it gets easier with the heavy training as you get older no no, of course. So when did she take up triathlon? Um, about the same time, actually. She always been uh, very like a sporty person. She ran for the national team for 800 and 1500 meters when she was young. Oh, and then yeah. when I grew up, she always ran marathons. I would go with her on the bike when she was training. 
Um, so we yeah. always had a lot of sport in the family. And then when yeah. I picked up swimming, she wanted to learn to swim freestyle as well, because we neither of us could swim freestyle. We just swam breaststroke. And then she yeah. continued from there. So basically, when we got down to Australia and with the Brat Club, everyone does triathlon. Of course, she wanted to do triathlons too. So I think I remember yeah. in Australia was her first triathlon. And then she did a half after, and then she did an Olympic distance, and then she did a sprint. So she started from oh my the gosh. top and worked her way down to the bottom. Oh my goodness. So is she a bit of an um, inspiration for you? Like, do you feel like you look up to her a fair bit? Yeah, de- definitely. Um, I also think she put some like really strong values early in my life to me. Right. Um, as in like you have to work hard to get the nice bits. Like you can't just yep. sit and have the nice bits served on a plate. Like the nice bits comes from yep. the hard work. Uh, and if you don't yep. do it, it's not going to taste so good. Um, so yep. and with the stable, like basically if you're a horse girl, you get used to being freezing, you're used to the cold hours, you're used to being hungry, which, yeah. when you come to think about it, is a perfect preparation <laughs> for triathlon. <laughs> so I, think- I have spoken. Sorry, I was just going to say, I've spoken yeah. to so many triathletes lately who have a background in horse riding. I keep They keep yeah. popping up. You're another one. I th- well, I think it's, if you're brought up like that, you learn so much about life yeah. that's good to know. Uh, and you learn yeah. how to deal with deal with shit basically uh, and then yeah. when you come to triathlon it's like a it takes less time two is cheaper <laughs> three it's easier <laughs> oh <laughs> so, so wow like... no but then also wow. like my mom being a midwife you normally have some pretty strong mm. female characters in midwifery um, yeah. and she always told me she's gonna do everything for me as long as oh. I do the work. So the moments I'm not willing to do the work anymore or I'm not like finishing stuff, then it's up to myself. I can do it myself. But as long as I give it my 100%, she'll be there and supporting it. And wow. I think that was very, very good to grow up with. Yeah, definitely. Oh, she sounds pretty awesome. She, she's pretty awesome. <laughs> and I, I, think, I think without that background, it would have been difficult to get as far as I have in competitive sport. Yeah. Yeah. Do, um, do you mind me asking, is dad, dad around? Cause I, I yeah. heard you mention uh, your mum's husband. So I assume that that's not your dad. No, true. Um, they separated when I was four. <laughs> so quite early. Okay. And to me, it's still yeah. a little bit of a miracle how they actually managed to have me. Um, oh. <laughs> different stuff long uh, so they never like I don't think they were really meant for each other as in to right. live with each other but I'm also yeah. in contact my dad lives in the same town as where I grew up and I spend time with both of them when I grew up um yeah my dad also has done a bit of cycling but it's not that like competitive as my mom uh and he's yeah. like the the other other side I think you always have two kind of poles in the family you have a plus and a minus and he's like the more quiet <laughs> he's musical and you know plays guitar and reads books and he's a teacher uh but still oh, like okay. you know he would uh he came up to swedish national time trial champs to see it and he was watching the time trial now in france and so he's still like really really involved and keeps a track oh, on cool. the sport and 
he came up to visit yeah. early this year. So I was, of course, see him. But my mom is like the crazy mom who does crazy shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have any musical talents like your dad? No, <laughs> completely judged me. But my, my half-sister has, so she got it instead, which is good. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, there you go. That's interesting. Um, I love that you call your mum crazy. I hope that Frankie calls me crazy as she grows up because <laughs> everyone else does. <laughs> well, I think it's uh, it's a good attribute. I think you would like, you I should take so. that if you call crazy. Yeah, I I own it. I love it. I I wear it with a, like a badge of honor. That is for sure. <laughs> um, pin, I want to go back. To, yeah, I think so. Um, it's kind of written across my face. Anyway, whenever you, I mean, you, you've met me, so you know I'm a little bit uh, a little bit crazy. Uh, yeah. Which brings me to the next part is that we we actually met in I think it was 2000. And, 14 or 15 in Morzine. That sounds about right, yeah? 14? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah? Could be. So I, so, and we were chatting about this before we hit record, uh, you were there with, as part of the D squad, uh, Jody Stimson was there as well. Um, I'm going to tell you, which you probably would never know, I was so nervous to meet you. <laughs> because- That's kind of crazy, actually. It is because you're so friendly and and kind and um, approachable, but I think it was just because you had well, you you were still um, well. There was the 2012 Olympics, right? That was kind of a big deal, and I was just like, "Well, Lisa Norton is a big deal," and I I was really nervous. But it's like at the time, I think Jody was the bigger deal because in sport, it's like. You're only as good as your last results. And she was the one who were performing. So, like in my head, you know, you quickly downgrade yourself because like Olympics was wow. two years ago. <laughs> yeah, but I guess, oh, people I guess maybe don't see it the same way. That's so so interesting. Cause yeah, she was doing really well, and that was the year of the Com Games as well, wasn't it? Yeah. Twenty fourteen. She won basically everything that year. Yeah, and you were also injured, which is why I don't think I saw you like the first day that I saw the rest of the crew. Uh, you weren't running much, I think, from memory. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. Uh, I had so many injuries, yeah. like the years after the Olympics, and 14 yeah. years came back to Darren uh, and then ended yeah. up getting a stress fra- fracture that year, just before Stockholm. Uh, uh, so I think yeah. I was getting back into running from something and then the stress fracture and that year never really happened for me. And I think as an yeah. athlete, you then quickly downgrade yourself because you feel like shit when you can't perform or you can't train. And um, yeah, that kind of Olympic glory has it quickly fades. <laughs> Wow. So from a media point of view then, would you have preferred me to be, you know, super outgoing and really wanting to chat to you because, you know, you I had put you on a pedestal. Like, like I said, I thought that you were amazing and incredible, but I didn't want to be all up in your face because I thought you might be, I don't know, a little bit over it by then. Um, but it sounds like maybe – maybe you needed a little bit of a extra support or something at that point in time. Well, I never really thought about it that way, but it's like media. And I don't talk about you specifically. 
Um, but media is so much like what happened today or yesterday. Mm. And as soon as you stop, mm. and this is why I think sport is such a hard life. Because when you do well, like mm. you win a race, you get the flowers, you get the champagne, you walk away, like you, you walk back to whatever hotel you are and everyone stops you on the way and gives you a high five and like, oh, that's a really good job. So you get all that positive energy from everyone. And when you don't perform, yeah. you finish seventh. And uh, there's no podium. You walk back in your race suit and everyone else is at the presentation or everyone is like, oh, that was, you know, good job. But, you know, it's like, it's not good. Like you didn't get the flowers, you didn't get the champagne. And it's so yeah. uh, black and white in sport. So as soon as you stop yeah. performing, it gets really, really quiet. But, you know, as soon as yeah. you start performing, you got to get back to it. But I think that's yeah. like with men mental health and all the issues, it's because you're you know, people talk about Instagram and you get the likes and you get the instant verification that people see you. But sport is like mm. 10 times on drugs <laughs> compared to it. Yeah, yeah. And, well, I think and particularly Darren, the Olympics because it's yes. every four years. Sorry, yes. keep going. Sorry. Um, Darren has always been very good with us in the group that you're not, as a person, you're the same. If you're performing right. or you're winning or you become seventh or you're 27th, Everyone works just yeah. as hard and everyone has the same value. So sometimes yeah. it was almost quite hard to people when they came back and you can see they were happy and they're like, oh, ooh, I'm doing well, it's going super. And he'd be <laughs> he's pushing them down a little bit because like, just because you won this, you're not like, you don't mean anything more. You're not more special. Everyone here works just as hard. And I think them yeah. values were really good to have early on because you still have that with you somewhere. Like it doesn't really matter and that's not who I am. It's just really fun when it happens, but it's not who I am. Yeah. But then like, so when yeah. you're back to reality and also with the Darren squad, like it's, you know, Olympics was back then. Now we have new goals to work towards and that's what you mm. work towards and focus on. So I think as an athlete, you live in the now and you don't really like think about it that way so much. Yeah. So it sounds like... um and obviously the Olympics, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but has anything topped the Olympics in your career yet? Well, I must say the Stockholm race three weeks after, uh, that combination. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> there was like <laughs> a block of weeks in my life, 2012, that were kind yeah. of unbeatable. And it's a combination starting with Olympics, continuing to Stockholm three weeks after, home soil. Yeah. First every yeah. race world series in sweden and being three weeks after the olympics it was packed with people it was i think there was sixty thousand oh, yeah. people in old town whoa and i won it whoa. i won it and i won it with enough time to grab a flag and to like high five people <gasps> and really enjoy it so that was so important for me and my career and to get that win at home soil in that time space yeah. after the olympics and then the week after yeah. i won the moin so that was like a good cash cow. That was hundred and seventy-eight thousand dollars or something in Des Moines, and yes. basically, like they were in a month from the Olympics, Stockholm, and Des Moines. And then I went to yeah, Canada, right. and then I won Yokohama in a sprint finish with Annie. And then yep. I was suddenly second in the world, and there was only the World Series left. And then I won the World Champs. So there's like a face there that's actually quite incredible that's the best face half it's probably like two months of my life 
Yeah, okay. Everything is Yeah, spoke. that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. But yeah, so that was a massive high. <laughs> and the well, Olympics, it, so in, just like in, in Sweden, triathlon before has been like an obscure sport no one really does. And even if I won the world champs before, it gets like a little notice in the paper and then it's the next day and no one remembers it. But with the Olympics, it's completely different. So the Olympics kind of made also the rest to get like a totally different Mm. space in media in Sweden because I had the Olympics with me. Yeah, of course. Like you would have helped put triathlon on the map there. Yeah. And also everything I did afterwards, like I can go out and do a local running race and the media would be interested of it. Like before yep. I could win the world champs and they wouldn't be interested. So, But when we have the Olympic medal, that's a combination mm. where everything after becomes something. And you can use it because people are going to hear you. So you can use your voice to all different sorts of things and areas. But it's just an incredible platform that it gives you. Yeah. So, and okay, so that's great. And that's going to uh, lead me down my next line of questioning is you speak of platforms. Like, did you feel like at that time that it was a platform at the, and that you could make a, a difference or a change um, on on different platforms, I guess? Not at the time. And mm. so <laughs> after Stockholm too, like because of, you know, Darren and we were on a mission and it wasn't the time <laughs> to sit down and enjoy the cake. Like we had more stuff to do. <laughs> so I, yep. I was in Stockholm and I left Stockholm the day after the race. Um, and then I went on the whole tour until end of Auckland. And then I had decided like Auckland was the last race with Darren. We're not going to train together upcoming years. And I was going to go yeah. back to Sweden and I was going to buy an apartment. And I slept right. in the basement of my friend's apartment because I had like a small place they could rent out per night to friends and family. So I slept in like that basic little apartment while I was looking for apartments around Stockholm when I won the most yeah. prestigious sport award uh, there is in Sweden. Like it was handed to me when I was there. So I remember like waking yeah. up in this shabby little flat <laughs> in the basement. <laughs> And I took the elevator up and I met this old lady, like people who's been to Stockholm. You know, it's this like really kind of classy old ladies with, you know, the hair <laughs> in a special style. And she had the dog under her arm, like a little chihuahua. And she looked at me oh, and said, like, oh, you're Lisa Norden. And that, I think <gasps> that's the moment when it hit me that people actually know who I am now. And it's not just sport yeah, people. Right. It's like the old fancy Stockholm ladies with chihuahuas <laughs> they know what triathlon is <laughs> and that's when like it's kind of like okay this is bigger than because I thought it was going to be like before it's not you know it's in the paper and the next day you turn it and it's not there anymore and people are going to forget about it but I think that yeah and that's a mid-December day in Stockholm but it was really cold a lot of snow and quite miserable and it's like okay yeah. actually this probably is changing my life a little bit and it's giving me more opportunities but yeah. it wasn't the time either because I, I didn't I didn't have time to stop like I was always on the next yeah. mission so I didn't really have time to kind of I, I left for Boulder later that spring and like I never yeah. kind of settled in and used it or enjoyed it at the time yeah and I, f- I feel like 
I mean, I don't think I've ever spoken to an athlete who really feels like they could have that opportunity to sit with it for a while and figure out ways that they can work with it because there's always another race. There's always mm. um, the next championship or the next race or the, the next cycle of the Olympics or, or whatever it is. I feel like a lot of people have more time to reflect on those incredible moments in their career much later on. If there's something that I miss and I would advise other younger athletes or like when you get to them kind of moments. Mm. So you always feel like you're missing out. If you miss out a year, it feels like you're missing out on so much. But the season comes and yeah. goes and there's always more and you're not going to fall off the bandwagon. Like you can always get back and you're always going to get fit and fast again. But if someone yeah. had told me to take that time like don't worry about training take the time and do all the stuff you need to do media wise or even put out like a strategy what do you want to achieve where do you want to be what do you want to create next year can you create something more professional if you put down the time now to create sponsors and build a team so you next maybe you can travel with the physio and you can travel with people with you and make like a bigger operation yeah. um and also maybe actually it's a sweet Swedish TV bought the TV rights for the World Series 2013 without asking oh, yeah. if I was going to do the World Series 2013. Oh. Because oh. my plan, and also with Darren, was to like, he thought I was going to have a break. Like, don't go back and do it again because you've done this and you did it well. Go and have some fun. Yeah. I hang out with Crow in Boulder and he was my mentor for a while and did some half Ironman. Oh, yeah. I forgot but, about that. It was, it was a lot of fun, but if I would have been smart, I would have used the time and the window when Swedish TV and the people were interested, and I would have put my name out there, and I would have made it a household sport when I had the opportunity, uh, instead of like, right. now it's time to do something different. And I know it's fun, and it kind of makes sense from an athlete point of view, but to build my yeah. career, I probably should have done a different choice. Right. But that's something, it's but, really hard for yourself to kind of figure out. And you, I probably would have needed someone smarter than me to help me realize <laughs> this. <laughs> and But also at that point in time, you know, it, that that probably felt like it was the right decision. You know, it, what do they say? Hind, hindsight's twenty twenty. It's It's easy to look back and, and look at ways that you should have done things a bit differently. Um, but, yeah. I don't know. It's tough, though. And, I find I find that side of things so fascinating. And I think, actually, the world should be kind of happy with that decision. And people don't know it, but I probably helped to create the biggest athlete there is right now to do what she did. Because Boulder, I met Daniela, so we trained a lot together before with Darren. And then she quit with Darren and then she took some time off and she started working and studying. And we met yeah. in Claita spring 2013 on a training camp. And she yeah. was there still studying, but she enjoyed training and she was just for fun kind of hanging out. And then I told her I was going to yeah. Boulder. And it's like, oh, that sounds really nice. I should come too. So when she yeah. finished her exams, she came out and we had a training camp in Boulder. And she went off to race some of the non-drafting Olympic distance races uh, we did our thing. I think we went to Vegas, both of us, for the world champs. That was kind of like the end of the trip. 
And then yeah. she had the call because there was still like places left at the Swiss camp in Cozumel where Brett Sutton was. It's like, oh, I'm going to go yeah. via Cozumel on my way back because it's a Swiss camp there. And then I'm going to go home. And that camp was what kind of brought her back into doing Ironman with Brett. And then a year later um. was when she was second in Kona. So I actually take a little bit of credit. Don't tell anyone, but I take a little bit of credit to get her back into doing <laughs> Ironman. <laughs> so maybe wow. if I would have gone over to do the ITU stuff again, and I wouldn't have gone to Boulder, and Daniela wouldn't have come, we wouldn't have the dominance of the Ironman right now. I she, think she, you are right. <laughs> she yep. probably doesn't see you, it that way, but like I, I do take a little <laughs> bit of credit for it. <laughs> Oh, wow. It's really interesting because I think a lot of people forget that Daniela was involved in uh, Olympic distance racing for a little while. Like a lot of people when she came, uh, went to Kona and placed second were a bit like, oh, where did she come from? She's come from nowhere. It's like, well, no, she's been in the sport for a while. Um, and then like you say, she had that that break as well. And then Lisa Norton brought her back into the world <laughs> well, of triathlon. Brit, Brit Sutton you know, brought it back to where it is now, but maybe like yes, whatever. pushed a little bit in the right direction, whatever, I take the claim. Um, yeah, no, Daniela, Daniela was an absolute amazing athlete and she started before me. So as a junior, she was much better than what I ever was. And she came to Darren, yeah, right. I think her first year under 23. And I had won the yeah. under 23s in Hamburg 2007. And she joined us, I think it was early 2008, down on a camp in the Gold Coast. And she won the yeah. 23 Worlds 2008. And she qualified for yeah. uh, Beijing Olympics. And I think she was seventh. And this is a, yeah. her first year under 23. So she had she was amazing. Um, she yeah. was running super fast. She also won, was it one or two years later? She beat Emma Snowsill in a sprint to win the Tonyong WTS race. And she was on the podium ah. in Washington just after, I think she was second to snow, so there as well. So she had some amazing years and she was super strong already back then. So I'm not yeah, surprised right. with her. She was back then also very, very dominant on the bike and super strong. It was probably the only girl at the yeah. time that I dreaded to train with and do efforts with because I knew it was really, really going to sting and it was going to hurt. Um, ah. So I'm not surprised with her profile that she's, you know, went on to do what she later did on the bike specifically. Oh, absolutely. You know your stuff. Are you a bit of a try geek <laughs> I do. A little maybe, bit. Maybe, actually. <laughs> maybe a little bit, yeah. <laughs> I do love the sport. And I think that's why, I'm, you know, this many years later, I'm still in the sport and I'm still really, really enjoying it. And I love watching the races. Yeah. Like, I'm a big fan of Super League. I also love cycling, like, you know, watching the tours and also like, keeping – a track on people and where they are and where they're coming from and how they improved and like the stories in sport I really enjoy. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think uh yeah, you're definitely a a fan and it's nice to it's nice to listen to fans who are actually involved in the sport as well. It's cool. I like it. Well, I also have so many friends like especially through Darren in his group mm. that you know people came and went. But the girls I trained yeah. with, like I trained with Anne Hogg for many years. And, you know, where is she now? With Sarah True and mm -hmm. Vicky Holland. And there's been so many people that went on to do amazing things. And to have yeah. seen them before they were amazing and just see them, you know, to who they were and see they develop and then like what they achieved is yeah. 
also fantastic. Yeah. What do you, um, because obviously you're doing some cycling races or time trial races, um, but, and well, when half distance racing gets back up and running again properly, is that going to be your focus or do you think you are going to move more over to the, just the pure cycling side of things? I, so last year I'm on the national champs, both TT mm-hmm. and road race. And I got to race a world mm-hmm. champs in Yorkshire, both the road race and the TT. And it, yeah. like it went, it went quite well. It went a little bit too good for not even thinking about, <laughs> you know, if I could go and be a cyclist instead. Because to be honest, it does feel like a part-time job, doesn't it? Like you only have one sport to do. So you'd be yeah. done in no time and your life would be like super nice. Like you hang out in places with a lot of mountains. You don't need a swimming pool. You just ride your bike. It's like, hmm, I kind of like it. Like, you know, it wouldn't be yeah. too bad. Um, so I started to look into the options and trying to understand a bit more of how it works in cycling. And after having yeah. done a little bit of research... I'm not interested at all. Um, One part is that I'm an individual athlete and I like to be responsible for myself and I like to Mm -hmm. have the opportunity to perform. So in, you know, WTS or half Ironman, you can always go out and you do your thing and it's up to yourself. In a team, you have a role to play. So for me, because I'm not a sprinter, (laughs) I'm not an amazing climber, I probably would be someone... You know, sitting at the front for a while, going back to fetch water bottles and be a team worker. Uh, and maybe every once in a while you get the opportunity to go in a breakaway or do something. But it's it's a team job. And the women's right. cycling is still far behind triathlon. Like in yep. triathlon, we have Absolutely. the same price money. We have the same opportunities mm-hmm. to make sponsor money. Sometimes they even think it's easier for a woman uh, with some sponsor contracts, especially back in Sweden. Really? Because you do something. Well, if you're... A female triathlete to do something quite spectacular for a female like for a guy it's more like you know they run on their bike and they're fast for a female to do something really good it's like more outstanding in a way um wow and okay you're, and you know is- obviously we look better too right like you know there's so many advantages <laughs> to be a woman <laughs> I like it. I like this because it's not often I have a conversation where a uh, an elite athlete is like, no, I see it as an advantage. I I love that outlook. That's fantastic. Well, you do something. Carry on. Not, yeah. But, uh, okay, so back to cycling then. And in triathlon then, you decide the responses. You build your own team around you and mm. you decide your profile and what you want to do. You go back to yeah. cycling, you get a salary from a team. And they decide what bikes you ride, what clothes you wear, what helmets you're going to have, everything. And you get the salary. I have some yeah. friends on World Tour teams getting a uh, thousand euros per month. The basic salary for a year is 15,000 euros. So basically wow. you, can't, you can't live in Stockholm. I would have to like have my boyfriend pay for me and move back into my mom or something to do a professional job that would be traveling all over the world, racing, shitloads of races. And at my age, I probably wouldn't move up to someone who would be like a big earner because that's that, that are race winners, someone who can like seal a sprint or like be outstanding in the mountains. So it's a very, very yeah. different sport and different dynamics from triathlon. Yeah. And yeah, absolutely. 
the whole road racing, I don't know if you've been following anything this year, but there's like there's so many crashes and there's so many things mm. happening that you can't control. And that's another side yeah. that doesn't really make it super attractive for me. Right. So what you're telling me is that you are 100% a control freak and you want to <laughs> control everything that you can and there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> well, no, to be honest, if someone would have like said, we're going to do everything for you, you don't going to have to worry about sponsors, you don't have to worry about equipment or getting to races, we're going to sort it out. Fine. Yeah. But give me more than a thousand euros per month. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, there's, fair like a, there's a balance. Like if I could sure. earn what I do now or preferably a little bit more uh, in doing a job when I'm going to get paid every month, that would be absolutely fantastic, of course. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, can, can I want to go back to the Olympics just quickly because I feel like you'll give me a very honest answer. Um, not that other people wouldn't, but you've just very – I don't know, honest, I guess. Um, when, when you're lining up for the Olympics, right, there's only three people who can stand on a podium. How many people do you think on that start line truly think that they are podium contenders, like honestly think that they are? Oh, that's a tricky one. Like I remember <laughs> me and the head coach the day before London we were walking mm. around in the park, probably to grab some coffee, and saying, like, in, in here, we probably have 50 athletes in the village, and tomorrow, yeah. three, it's going to have their life changed. Three of these girls yeah. are going to walk here with, like, different lives. We don't know who they are. They can be, like, basically anyone, but tomorrow is going to be different. And I think yeah. with Olympics, like, I, I came in from an injury phase early in the spring. I basically had one race, which was Kids Bull, where I was second, where I felt like I was getting some form. But yeah. I had no... Maybe if I would have come in and like one, one race after race and I was like in the top three, people would have talked about me before. I would have felt like this was mine mm. to win. But I didn't feel yep. like that. Uh, so I, yep. I think maybe you have five girls thinking right. they should get a medal and then yeah. i think you have like in the next level under here's kind of like you have that little hope that maybe everything goes my way mm. and if this happens and if i have like golden legs tomorrow i could maybe but i only think you might have five people who's there to outspokenly like i'm gonna win a medal yeah. and who's gonna be very yeah. disappointed if they walk away from it not having won one yeah so where, who, who were you exactly in 2012, the day before? Where did you fall into that? What category did you fall into? Well, I actually, I can't remember. This, like, this is a while ago now, but I can't remember yeah. that I had any pressure on myself, any mm. goals. And Darren had been so good with us to put in work process in our head. Like I'm here to do a job and... I need to do all these bits. Like I need to nail this one and this one and this one. And if I do it right, right it could be a good race. But I didn't come yeah. in thinking of a number or like this is what I, this is what I deserve because I think that's what a lot of people think. You know, you're you're at a certain level and you deserve to be up there because you're 
as good as the others. So you feel like you're better than like most of the others. So you like you deserve to be up there. And I didn't feel like it yeah. because there were so many girls who were more favorites than what I was. But mm. I kind of mm. quietly knew. And I think it was actually my Moffat who told me at the briefing, it's like, so how are you feeling, Lisa? Like, you know, are you gonna are you gonna get a medal now? Because I think you're one of the favorites. And for ah. me it was kind of like, oh, really? Because no one yeah. in the press, because I haven't figured anywhere, no one talked about me, and no one in Sweden yeah. really like, talked about me. So it was like that golden opportunity to just relax and go out and do the best of it. Yeah. And almost take away any emotion from it. Like you're there to do a yeah. job, right? And I imagine yeah. the Olympics is it's there's a lot of emotions involved with the with the Olympics, which is something else as as an elite athlete you have to manage as well. But there's also a special feeling that I don't think you're mm. appreciating or even think about when you are an onlooker, and it's that everyone yeah. who is there has already won something because they got there. Because for two years, yeah. you're fighting about qualifications. You're fighting about getting a nation a slot, mm. if that's like the biggest you know, issue. Or you're fighting mm-hmm. of being selected or you know, winning the selection race. And this like race after race after race. So once you get to the Olympics, you're kind of like, wow, I made it. I'm going to be an Olympian. Yeah. I'm here. So there's a lot of like yeah. kind of high-fiving, like, you know, well done for getting here. And, you know, because we all have different routes and different challenges and for some people it's like the biggest in their life you know you might be the second last to qualify and like yeah i'm in the olympics and others walking yeah. with pressure like helen jenkins she was yeah. British and she was the favorite to win it so she had like you know heavy yeah. heavy weights on her shoulders that you know she had to perform mm. yeah but i think the I celebration thought, I... of like being there is actually bigger than what i thought before yeah, right. Did, was there any point, because, I mean, I just, we hosted a, um, a a party to watch the Olympics and I remember telling everyone to shut up because they were talking too loud because I was just, I was so into it, um, like many fans were. Um, and the moment, so there was two moments in that that race and it was obviously the sprint, the sprint between you and Nicola, uh, which, and we still didn't know who won. Like straight, you know, no one knew who actually won when you crossed the line. Um, but then there was also Erin and Sarah True who were almost sprinting as well for, for third place until Erin managed to sprint away from her. And then obviously being an Australian, that added a whole different sort of level of excitement for us. Um, yeah. But like I – and obviously I'm going to look at back at it a lot different as a fan as opposed to someone who was in it at the moment. But was there any moment during that race, even as you hit the blue – was it blue carpet? Must be blue yeah. carpet, right? <laughs> it was blue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> blue, yeah. Uh, where – like do you remember specifically that, that sprint finish between you two? I do. Um Actually, the whole last lap is very, still very vivid in my head. Right, um, right. It was, it's probably didn't like, you probably can't catch it on TV, but the noise, nice. the noise in the park was incredible. And when we're coming back, like first we ran out and we did a U-turn and then we went down alongside the serpentine on the other side from the finish line opposite. Yeah. And the yeah, whole yeah. crowd was on the right hand side. And there was so much noise because everyone yelled and cheered when we were coming, right? So it was like a snake that followed us all around the course. 
And it was so loud <laughs> that my right ear kind of popped. And then the no. left side was quiet because the left side was towards the lakeside. And I remember it was hard to hear my own breathing. And in a normally yeah. it's so loud, like because you breathe and you can hear the other girls and I couldn't hear the other girls. And it was so weird with yeah. the big noise on the one side. But along that last street, we were, I think that's when Sarah caught up to us. Yeah. We couldn't see that because I had ah, yeah. Nicola, I had Erin. Uh, Helen dropped off. We could hear that from the crowd. Yeah. And Erwin actually did two attacks or two like pace, changes yeah. of pace. Uh, yeah. And I managed, I was the one who kind of managed to wheel her back in a couple of times. And I remember yeah. feeling, because I've been waiting, it was like a waiting game. Wait, 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 see what happens. <laughs> and I remember like, oh, I think this was, this was her cards. Like, this was it. Uh, she had kind of yeah. attacked two times and, and I'm feeling good. Like, this is good. And I had a chat yeah. to myself. It was like, okay, Lisa Norden. <laughs> now, this is the time. I love that you used your last name as well. Lisa Norden. <laughs> well, In case there's this... any other Lisas who can hear me, it's Lisa was, Norden who I'm speaking with. <laughs> very serious talk to myself. Like, if there's a time in your life to concentrate, this is it. Like, get your shit together. <laughs> Like Darren would have said, <laughs> like that was going through my head. Yep. Like now this could potentially change your life. And what was going through my head was the time, like the, the travels to get to that point, to get to yeah. the last lap when there's less than two Ks to go in the Olympics and I'm running in front with the favorites. Yeah. I'm running for a medal yeah. to get there. This four years to the next one. This four years are potentially like injuries and illnesses. This races and qualification processes. This also getting through the race and put yourself in that position. It might probably never ever happen again. So now, Elisa Norden, you concentrate <laughs> and you get it right. And I was <laughs> like, if you have antennas, like I felt like I had 10 antennas going out from my head with just like feelers trying to pick up like how the others were feeling, feelers for myself, it, like am I breathing through my stomach? Can I relax more with my arms? How am I feeling? Like I'm feeling good. That's good. Nicola then yeah. did another pace of change when we turned slightly left to go back to the last straight. He ran over a bridge. Yeah. And I remember again like, whoa, she's not a mental attack now. She's a sprinter. She's got this, you know, feeling, yeah. why is she attacking now? And it wasn't a great attack either. So I was like, hmm, maybe something is a little bit off, like, <laughs> again, concentrate. And then from the last straight, it's basically just, I don't know, like, there's no thoughts anymore. It's just kind of being in the moment and running. And the pace kind of slowly picked up. And Darren had, it's actually crazy, there's an email to us, I think in June, when he told us, this is how the Olympics are going to go. And it went like point by point by point. It followed exactly kind of his, um, uh, what do you call it? Like, you know, how it's going to pan out. Oh. Yeah, predictions. Yeah. So I actually, like I knew, and he told me before we had the plan mapped out. The last K is going to go at this speed. Nicola, you're going to let Nicola start. As soon as she starts the sprint, you're going to go with her and then you're going to go past her. So I followed the plan. Maybe I was like half a second too slow to react when she started. Uh, and then I yeah. remember I was quite amazed that I felt my body responding and I felt that I was gaining yeah. more and more and more speed. And at the time I could only see the banner and I could hear the crowd and it was like, 
again, if there's a moment when you're going to use your body, it's now. And just like trying to get all the motor skills right and getting, you know, the connections and getting more speed. And it's, I don't think I've ever been so much in the moment at any other time in my life than during that moment. It was quite yeah. incredible. Farah, and your memory of it is extremely vivid. What yeah. you just described to me, it, it is second by second what was uh, playing out. That's so awesome. And that was eight years ago. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's, oh, I'm really happy gosh. because I would be kind of sad if I forgot about it. Like that's kind of, yeah. you know, it's stuff you want to remember. Absolutely. And then, uh, and then crossing the line, I had people asking me afterwards if I thought that I won because I'm kind of putting my arms up in the air and celebrating. And I remember just being so stoked that I won an Olympic medal. And like before the just, Olympics, yeah. you, sit, you sit in the village and you see other sports kind of going through and then they have the medal presentations and you have the special like signature medley being played before the presentations and you get the flower and all. Wow, I'm going to experience that. I'm going to be like on the Olympic podium and I get flowers and... You know, it was just like so many things yeah. that it didn't matter if it was silver or gold. I won a medal. Right. That was like all that matters to me. It was cool. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> You're giving me goosebumps. I love it. I love that shit. That's amazing. And um, then I had I'm very mom wet. On, sorry. sorry. I had my mom and the grandparents no, you, okay. and like a big family. And it was, you know, to have them all there too was also incredible. Beijing would have been completely different. But London, to have so many people there that I yeah. knew was like also another, another level of kind of celebration. And was it easy to find them in the crowd? It was. Um, yeah. Well, you have the Swedish flags and <laughs> my mom was kind of, <laughs> oh, yeah. she was on the VIP stand and my dad as well. And they kind of came down close. So I could make my ah. way behind the finish shoot and kind of see them. Yeah. And, and it seems to me that your mom is probably quite loud, right? So you probably uh, yeah. heard her as well. <laughs> oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's so awesome um i i'm very aware of the time and we've already chatted for an hour and i still just have a couple of quick questions if you've got a couple more minutes is that okay sure sure okay so so one thing i noticed when i was just um trying because i was trying to find out how old you were when you actually started and i couldn't find it so just quickly how old were you again when you did your first triathlon uh, first triathlon, I was 16. Okay. Okay. I couldn't find that information, but along the way, I found some old articles and so forth. And one of the, you know, it's that typical article where they ask you to give, uh, give them your favorite quote and your favorite quote used to be pain is weakness leaving the body. Um, which I think every triathlete, I've ever known has used that quote in some respect. I used to use it as well. Um, and then I found, I can't even remember where the next one was, but I think it was maybe a recent article where they asked you the same thing. And the quote that you used was, nothing builds confidence like doing the work. So my question to you is over that period of time, and I'm guessing that's around a, maybe an eight year period where that quote has changed, how do you think you as an athlete have changed based on those quotes? Uh, it seems like me, the first one is very, just get out there and go hard. And it's just very, um, 
a young approach to everything, whereas the second quote seems a little bit more calculated. Um, do you under, do you understand what I mean? Yeah, and it's probably absolutely makes sense too. And I think I had yeah. too many injuries and too many pains. Oh. <laughs> yep, to see it as a weakness. Um, right, because yep. like the, like you said, the first one is just like go out and go hard and you know run through the pain, but then pain kind of once you have a few injuries pain gets a different meaning right and you can't Mm. run through all the pain you have to be a little bit you know careful with your body and it's not about pain it's about how you do things and it's about doing things better that's gonna get you to the top of races and to the pointy ends Uh, i think darren is he's you know meant a lot to me in my career and he was very much the doing the work to build the confidence and that's what he used to tell us walking out on the start line like no one is as prepared as you girls like no one has done such mm-hmm. a good job as we have to prepare for this race and we yeah. believed in it like i walked out thinking like no one has done this as good as we have so we should win this yeah and that was amazing and also yeah. I have so many races where i came in underdone and not prepared and I hate it because I want to be a person who walks out feeling like I've done it better than everyone else because it's the best feeling yeah. in the world. But you have to like truly yeah. believe it and you have to believe in the process. Um, but when you get yeah. that right, it's really cool and you're probably going to win it. <laughs> or if you don't, then someone like else it. has done a better job. And that's also what he said. Like if someone else yeah. beat us, like, well, they probably prepared a little bit better and they, you know, they've done some incredible work. So hats off for them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I like it. I like it. Um, Okay, so the last two questions I have for you. The first one is, what are you currently obsessed with? Uh, At the moment, it's probably Mm -hmm. the order in the camper we have (laughs) because it's really, really small. The The order of hiddenness. And you have to keep everything Ah. in the right place to know where it is. Otherwise, we're like spending so much time running around and trying to find stuff. So now we're like, we need oh, to be camp alive. So this is like just obsessing with uh, different spaces because there's so many like smart solutions for space and keeping stuff. But apart like from it. that, it's still like <laughs> co- coffee is a big obsession. Um, yeah. And trying to find good coffee places and beans and best roast and yep. grind and stuff like that. Uh, excellent. I'm trying to learn more and more about that as we're having to make more coffee at home instead of going out mm. to buy it. So <laughs> I appreciate that obsession. Uh, I like it. Okay, final question uh, is, who is your favourite famous Lisa? Well, this is going to be one for the Swedes because this- Okay, you're going to... You're going to have to explain it a bit then. Yeah, this is a really prepared. famous singer in Sweden called Lisa Nilsson who created like a big part of Swedish music. She's one of the like big pillars of music in Sweden. And she was kind of, when you grow up, I would be with my skipping rope, kind of mimicking and singing with her songs. So uh, Lisa Lisa Nilsson is always like the big Lisa for me. And I'm like the little one kind of trying to be like her and having the same hairstyle. This is like a few years ago. So it's not happening right now. Just so you know. Um, but all the Swedes <laughs> would know who she is. <laughs> I like it. Well, my favourite famous Lisa, I think, might have to be. Well, the only one that comes to my mind is Lisa Kudrow from the Friends TV show. Ooh. Yeah, 
Yep. She's funny. It's all She's I can good. come up with right now. Actually, she is I funny. Have, I have a little story uh, that I have to tell to finish off. It's not going to take a long time. Excellent. But I met nope. a couple uh, and they sent me a photo from the wedding uh, and asked, I think actually someone called me before and asked if I could make a little film and a video greetings for them. They had their first date uh. during the Stockholm WTS 2012. They later married oh. and they got a daughter called Lisa. <gasps> How cool is that? Stop it. That's amazing. So that's, that's a bit of my legacy, actually. Dude, so that's so cool. I've not heard of that before in the triathlon world. <laughs> the first I love that. During the Stockholm race, then they got married and then they got a daughter. And of course, her name was going to be Lisa. Oh, how did that make you feel? Oh, I almost teared up when I I met them in Stockholm. Um, I think it was two years later. Uh, it was it's just pretty incredible, isn't it? It's not really uh, I like love that. me, but I still feel like I'm involved a little bit somehow. You are one hundred percent involved. They named that kid after you. Well, it's just because they had the the date during the race, so. But I'm glad yeah. to have like created the venue for them to get a reason to get together because obviously it worked out really well for them. I love it. That's a very cute story. What a great way to finish the podcast. Thank Amazing. Thank you for, um, for chatting to me. It was fun. So many good memories. Oh, thank you. Oh, I'm so I'm so glad. Like I said at the start, uh, we don't tend to talk too much about triathlon, but this is a different one. Um because it, it kept on going back there, but uh, for different for different reasons and stuff. So I thoroughly enjoyed learning a little bit more about uh, what has made Lisa Norden the person she is today. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you for the incredible job you do for women in sports. It's amazing. So hats off for you. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in. Hit subscribe, give us a rating, leave a comment, and don't forget, if you're not already a Wits Up Patreon member, sign up in the link in the description. But above all else, keep yourselves knee-deep in awesomeness. <laughs> <laughs>